Welcome to the Girls Who Gather podcast, a podcast spotlighting women's stories from a diverse range of backgrounds and stages of life, highlighting the ways they are building community, empowering other women, and walking out their calling. We are so glad that you decided to tune in. Our heart and our hope in launching this podcast is to begin extending the voice of Gather beyond just the physical spaces where we meet in our cities, campuses, and apartments. We want to make our content even more accessible to all of you. With an incredible diversity of feminine voices, we want to create a catalogue of stories, testimonies, inspirational content, and more that you and your friends can always return to for inspiration and empowerment. We will also be announcing Gather News, updates, and other exciting events coming up on this platform. So stay tuned for more from us as we journey through this next season together. And as you listen, we encourage you to lean in and learn from some truly incredible women. All right, so for this episode, our guest is a bright and passionate professional in the STEM field with a bachelor's in arts in psychology from Texas Tech University and an MA in clinical psychology from Wheaton College. She is now a full-time doctoral student and guest faculty member at Wheaton College pursuing her doctor of psychology in clinical psychology. She has received multiple awards and honors from chairing the graduate student council and has countless connections across professional fields, but her heart's main focus, mental health and advocacy, awareness and application in underserved populations and communities of color. She has served as a therapy extern for child and adolescent community mental health patients, a diagnostic intern at the Central DuPage Pastoral Counseling Center, and a practicum therapist and more. Alongside her loves of community and counseling and clinical psychology work, our guest today is also a fantastic public speaker and writer, wielding powerful words to speak poetry and to artistically articulate her experiences in the world. She is a woman of faith, scholarship, and certainly action. Today, we're pleased to warmly welcome Miss soon-to-be Dr. Kamisha Kibble. Kamisha, thank you so much for taking the time out of your undoubtedly very busy schedule to record with us today. Wow, thank you for having me. That intro, I feel like <laughs> feel like I'm walking into the stadium, the Big 12 game. We're just here to hype you up, girl. <laughs> That's what we do. That's so awesome. Yes, Kamisha, thank you so much for being with us today. We want to know just how did you arrive to where you are professionally? How did you arrive to where you are in your, I guess, your personal identity as like being a woman in the world, making a difference, like who are you? How did you get to where you are? What did your upbringing have as an influence on that process? Oh man, huge. So um, I think that for me, I my family comes from like people who are all in rural environments. So you have people who, we all have been in Stuttgart probably since we got to the United States back wow. in- we've just been there for a very long time um and so they're like little smaller towns that have like a lot of fields and it seems like my family kind of transitioned from um slavery to sharecropper work to farmers to blue collar workers and so I have a lot of like get or done people in my family (laughs) um who work the 12-hour shifts um and who navigate a lot of things so when I was in about second grade, I got placed in Gifted and Talented, which we had no idea what that meant. And also the name of that doesn't really <laughs> let you know what it is. Like, it sounds like a really fancy talent show. Like, what does that mean? Right. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm taking a class on how to be a singer. Like, what is this? Um, but <laughs> that led my family to have a lot of like, then it's kind of like my family as a whole extended and not kind of jumped on board. It was like, okay, well... If she's in gifted and talented, then like be a doctor, 
or a lawyer because those were the only professional fields that my family really knew of. Mm. Um, and so for me, I ended up choosing to be a doctor because my grandmother was a, um, um, a caregiver to older individuals. Um, she didn't yeah. finish um, school herself. She actually stopped when I think she was in about the fifth grade because she had younger siblings that she had to take care of. And so that's kind of when she started becoming like a professional caretaker for um, older people. So my mom had me when she was very young. She was 15 when she had me actually. And so in light of that, um, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, just kind of like shadowing her before, you know, before I shadowed any like medical doctor. And that led me into thinking about biology, pre-med, those sorts of things. So in undergrad, I actually went in wanting to do pre-med and chose psychology because I heard a rumor that they were adding the, like psychology to the MCAT and I wanted to get ahead of the game. So I've always been somebody who plans pretty far out. Um, but I took a biopsychology course at the same time as I took a biology course. And I was like, I am way more interested in my biopsychology course and then had to have like a like a, like one of those forks in the road where you have to make a decision. It's like, well, I really do enjoy the psych part a lot more than I'm enjoying learning about all the other systems that are in the body. And this feels more applied um, and like there's ways to connect it to communities and the people that we're working with a bit more, um, at least in, in like a long standing kind of way. And so then I ended up shifting fully to psych, um, joined a neuroscience lab, and then that led me into neuropsychology, which is how I ended up in grad school because I was like, well, neuropsychology is like neuroscience where you're still learning about the brain, but you're applying it to people. It's like wow. the Lord was continually shifting me a little further and further until right. I was like, you're going to be a clinical community psychologist. I didn't just right. let, let the neuro go. Um, <laughs> so I still, <laughs> I still love the brain and everything that has to do with it. Um, but as I got into grad school and really started having more conversations with professionals who um, learning how big the field of psychology is, I think it, it seems really small until you're like walking alongside people who are further up. It's kind of interesting how high, like the higher up you go, the more doors open in a lot of ways, but you don't really know them until you get there and have access to those things. Um, so when I went to grad school, I went to the American Psychological Association conference and noticed that there was an entire division devoted to the study of culture, race, and ethnicity. Um, and so I just kind of started hanging around <laughs> those people um, and just kind Later of learned in. a bit more. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I was just trying to soak in whatever it was that they were chatting about because I was listening to them talk and I was like, this is how I talk yeah. with my friends when I talk about psychology outside wow. of the classroom. Um, and so just knowing, wow, there's a space for people. To do people have been doing this for, for years. Like, okay, like I'll, I'll hop into that. And so it's kind of how I ended up <laughs> where I am. Wow. Kamisha, that's so dope. I feel like as when we were doing our pre-recording chit chat, you literally are walking the path kind of of thinking of, of your career and your trajectory that I was experiencing. I think I'm in a different division of the social sciences. I studied anthropology in undergrad and mm -hmm. I I first started wanting to be pre-med. I wanted to be a cardiologist. I was fascinated by like the human heart and just like our way of being and just like how the human body works and systems and things like that. But 
for me, medicine was just a little too rigid, but I found anthropology. And it's like you said, the higher up you go, there's medical anthropology, there's legal, there's all these different offshoots and ways yeah. that the field just bleeds into other places. And so I don't know, I just I love seeing and hearing from someone who's a few steps ahead of us, just how you're taking command of each of these passions. And I guess I wanted to ask you from career to like just your character as a person, what have been some mm -hmm. of your greatest challenges in that process you just described? And what about greatest moments of strength that you could tell about? Yeah, for sure. I think there is both a, um, there's both a grand aspect. It's like very grand when you, when you develop when you be able to, when you become like, you reach a point where you can see all of the different things that are accessible to you. Um, and it's also kind of scary at the same time, especially because you usually have no idea what the rest of those things are um, because they just became available to you. So I, when I was transitioning into psychology, I had no idea really what psychology meant. I took an AP psychology class, but I was like, I don't know what people do with this. And if, all the people do with this is what um, they do on like those commercials or in like, you know, in media, then like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I, you know, I don't come from a family that really understood um, mental health in the way that we do in present times. Um, I come from a family that was very much kind of like, oh, you stress? Just work. You sad? Just work. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, if you feel bad, well, how about you just work on something? And so like that's, and then take your mind off of it by doing more work. And so <laughs> that's kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's really great. It's a, we're very productive people. Um, but it's, it's hard because we don't necessarily take the, the space, like the, the resting and the, yeah. those sorts of rhythms um, yeah. to really kind of check in. It's not something that we are as familiar with. And so I didn't really have a framework for, you know, what is therapy? What is what all can be done with this. And so there becomes a point where there is a, a call to kind of embody what Peter did and walk on water a little bit. Like, seems great. I've seen people ahead of me doing it. They seem to be enjoying themselves. So even when I was at, at the APA conference, um, when I was in grad school, in my earlier years of grad school, like my, I think that was my first year in grad school, actually. When I went to that conference and I was sitting with those other professionals who were in Division 45, the division that's devoted to the study of culture, race, and ethnicity, no one in my program is in that division. And oh. so that was the first time that I'd actually seen psychologists who were having conversations that I had with my friends, but with psychology. Um, and so it's kind of like, I can see somebody out there walking on water and they're doing great. Like, ah, oh, that's awesome. And I feel the Lord calling me to to take that step, but there really is no guarantee about how that's going to work. There's no guarantee that it's going to be the most, like the greatest fit of all time. Um, there just has to be this moment where it's kind of like, all right, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to step out and see what happens. And if it does, if it's not the best fit, it was at least a, um, a stepping stone yeah. for me to get to where I'm going to end up going. Just transitioning a little yeah. bit. And you, you touched on this a bit and just talking about, this is the way you talk about, you know, um, this stuff with your friends and then seeing that in a more in an academic setting was really intriguing to you but we so gather exists to bring people into community and bring women together and build them up in conversation and in leadership and to provide just a space and a place for them to 
form those connections and form those relationships. And I'm just wondering, you. so you said prior to this call, you said you, you've been in school just your whole life, like since you were four. And um, I'm just curious on how, you know, community, what role community and kind of a sense of belonging has played in your in your life and in your identity and um, even in your academic career. How has community kind of played a role? I think that the Ivy Tower is a very unique place, and it is not often a place that makes space for the humanity of the individual. Um, Wow. And so in light of that, it is incredibly important to me not to lose who I am in the Ivory Tower Mm -hmm. and my community, my friends, my family are a vital part of that. Um, because it's very easy to become detached and then just cite articles and <laughs> books. Yes. And yes, I think especially is. being in a field like psychology, the whole point is right. in order to walk alongside people. And so right. if that gets lost and we're all just sitting around chatting about data and not actually wow. applying it yeah. to like it, that doesn't it's really true. work for me. Um, and a big thing for me was to join the academy as a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. So school to me was not like a, I've made it to school, this is great, I've won, this is the victory. My whole purpose of um, pursuing a bachelor's, pursuing a master's and now a doctorate has been to gain insight, to gain skills that I can add back to the people who have supported me and to the community that I am from. Um, And so in order to do that, it's very important that I don't lose the language that I don't lose the heart that I don't yeah. lose the essence of of my community and so my I have my best friend Sandra has been vital <laughs> in in this process um we started undergrad together I met her my sophomore year of high school <laughs> she is the jelly to my like very consistent protein peanut butter and so <laughs> Um, there have been a lot of moments where, especially I feel as I've gotten further in the academy, just because there are, there's just less people who are from the communities that I'm from. And so it, it becomes kind of hard. It becomes hard to manage the languages of both a little bit. Um, and so it's been helpful to have moments where I could take breaks and call Sandra and be like, Sandra. This is happening in class. We talk about this all the time, but somebody just wrote an article about it. They think it's new, you know? And like, we can talk about that. Um, Right. We can talk about what it means to be doing the work, not just how great Mm -hmm. we're excelling at this arbitrary scale of whether we're achieving the work or not, if that makes sense. Um, So I feel like for me, my community plays a large role in me keeping the meaning of my work not just mm, the tasks so of it. Wow. That's so good. That's wow. such good advice. And I think yeah. like I was saying earlier, Kamishan, I mean, I, I think this applies for all of us women forging ahead in whatever we do. Like, what is the root of why we're doing what we're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think in a similar vein in academia and anthropology, it's so easy to get caught up in the theoretics and the hypothetical and the like, oh, like social justice and like meaning and unmaking meaning and blah, 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 blah. Like getting all up in the jargon of that space of scholarship. But it's like, okay, on the ground, 
how are we going to actualize what we're talking about and how does this get shifted in different spaces? Mm -hmm. Because what works in one maybe indigenous community context doesn't work in like, you you can't like copy and paste. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know, hearing you talk about your work and your career, it's, it's evident to me that, you know, mental health and the whole person and seeing that in light of space of community is, is a passion of yours that I share. Lauren shares many of us on the call. I'm sure now share, um, and especially for those belonging to underserved and low resource populations and communities of color, um, and especially children and adolescents. So yeah. I would love if you could talk more, Kamisha, you know, why these particular groups? Why now? I think 2020, you know, for those listening to this in 2020 and those listening to this for years to come, you know, this decade, the 20s is sure to be a huge one when it comes to a lot of these topics of mental health, yeah. social justice advocacy, looking at the whole person in light of society and systems at work. So why these particular groups? Why now? Are there aspects of our society that have to go so that work can be brought to completion and people can be made whole? I would love to hear you talk more about this too. I think oftentimes there can be a um, misconception of this is like a huge thing that has to be done. Like how on earth do we ever do? And a lot of that, I think like before we even get there, I think there needs to be proximity, okay? Relationships allow for the the conversations that need to be happening. They allow for the awareness that needs to be happening. If you're not around anyone who is different from you, then you really don't have a framework for anything that's different than you aside from what you see. Um, And that can be true of those who are from backgrounds who um, have misconceptions about the community. Either way, you can have a misconception about the community, right? So if even if your your view is that you've never been around anyone, but you want to serve, and this is kind of how nonprofits statistically lack leadership of those from the communities that they're serving. And so Mm. either way, it's kind of like, so how are you going to survive as a nonprofit if you're just kind of going in like, I saw that these people were saying this about this community and I disagree. So I'm going to jump in and try to help. But there hasn't been any sort of conversation. You don't walk in your day to day with people who do it. And so the only context Mm. that you really have for the people that you're trying to that you're trying to serve is when you're trying to serve them, you know. So then how do you have a conversation with people who are your, if you don't know how to have collegial conversations with those who are, who are different than you, then it will only exist in the frame of an hierarchy where either you're on top helping Mm. them or they're on, they're on top. There is no, you don't know how to walk alongside one another if you don't practice that. And so to me, proximity is huge. Um, One of the things that always gets commented on in my life is that I have friends from every background and I always have um yeah so <laughs> I think that for me it, it it came natural to do the work that I chose to do because of the conversations that I was already having in my personal life with the people that I walked alongside um, so transitioning yeah. that into um doing clinical community psychology and working with communities even working with children and adolescents I'm the oldest of in my family and so I've been walking with younger kiddos and siblings and teens <laughs> for ages. My baby sister is 15. So um, these are conversations that I have. Like, how does, how does, like, what does it mean to be a Gen Z? Like, let's chat about it. Those are conversations that I already have with my baby sister. And so it provides a way for me to see the value 
and not in this like you know other people aren't seeing the value but being able to kind of see what is it that's unique about different communities that right that add to the beauty in the diversity that we exist in humanity and how we are that's so good and like i i mean that's that's the core of of these fields that we're in you know and the work that we're doing and kind of the heart of gather that lauren was touching on earlier you know building community creating spaces for people to be authentic and to ask the question the questions of like society at large, I guess, but also our orientation in society mm-hmm. at the individual level, but also at like, you know, from the bottom up or the top down, as we say in anthropology. Um, yeah. And so I want to, I guess, before Lauren kind of ask her next questions, like in light of the work that you've already done and that you're desiring to do, like, what is your career goal? Like what at the end of your, you know, the next 20, 30 years, 40 years of work that you're doing, what do you want to look back on and, and have as your record? Like, what do you want to accomplish ultimately in this? Yeah, I think that the mechanisms by which that will happen are still very, like, broad to me. So I don't have as much of, like, a very clear picture of, like, how it will manifest materially. I do know that I strongly desire to be a cultivator in, in like, the hearts of people that I work with. Um, I don't necessarily need to be the harvester. I don't even necessarily need to be the planner. I just want to cultivate what's already there. People have already built elements within them that are resilient. They have already built elements within them that are strong. You just need to like cultivate a little bit. Then they grow and they maneuver. And that's kind of like what I see my work is as a psychologist. And I I see it that way, whether it's in, which I anticipate that um, continuing forward, it will be in, in communities as well as organizations as well as individuals um but all of those things i feel like i would just want to to cultivate to cultivate a a piece of stillness as well as um just build on the resilience that people already have so they can just better reflect those pieces of them that add to what does it mean to be a part of such a beautiful species (laughs) I love what you said about proximity and how important it is. I, I studied human rights in school and public policy. And I just, it's the same sort of thing as Noel was talking about with anthropology that we get so caught up in because we are, we're, we're looking at the systems. We're looking at kind of the bigger picture of how we can, you know, influence and change the world and change systems that need to be changed in order for, you know, freedom and liberation. But, um, but yeah, you can get really out of touch with the actual people that are on the other side of that and, that's when it gets really tricky. And I just, yeah, I just love what you said. Um, and I think I love that. Yeah. Gather allows us to like walk alongside each other and understand different experiences that are outside of our own and backgrounds and upbringings. And yeah, I think that's what both of us really love about creating that space. It's just the, the proximity we do get to, to cultivate essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to ask a little bit more about your creative side. I know that you're a writer and um, I love that. I feel like there's, I feel like I, I also like sit in this intersection of like creative, but then also really justice and like people oriented and wanting to, you know, very like academic as well. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's always been a hard crossover for me because I'm like, <laughs> ah, I love to do things creatively and all, you know, look at all this art, but then also, you know, very structured black and white, like give me the, give me the textbooks, give me the studying. And yeah. um, 
I just want to know kind of where you discovered what, where and when and how you discovered your, your love for poetry and writing and um, how your creativity kind of feeds into what you do um, in the academic space as well yeah. and what you want to do in life. Yeah, for sure. So for me, I have always really loved music um, and that kind of led in a lot of maneuvers to my um, passions for poetry. So um, I played the clarinet for a number of years. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful instrument. Um, and so it's like I, I joined band, I think, like I started, you know, the recorder in fifth grade and then switched to the clarinet and just did that throughout until my freshman year of college, actually. Um, I was in marching band as well. And to me, it was a source, music in general has just always been a source of of peace, a way for me to kind of like sit in stillness, even when like I don't know what's going on, even when I do, like there are, like, there are songs that I'll play and I'll dance a little bit, you know? And so I feel like music has just always been really impactful for me in that way. When I was younger, um, and my community, chopped and screwed music was like a really big thing. And so like all of the kids on like during recess would like try to like freestyle rap battle each other. Wow. And I was definitely a part of that community. <laughs> um, and so I think for me, like those sorts of like playful like raps, weeks with my, my love of music, started to transition into poetry when I hit, um, like middle school, um, where I was like, I'm writing like rhymes, but I'm not, I'm not about to like, you know, I don't want to be the next MC light. Like that's a large legacy to live I'm up to, crying. you know, it just, I'm just chilling. I just want to, you know, write some vibes while like, you know, the rain pours on my window and I just, you know, what? get my Edgar Allan Poe on, you know, like I don't want to. Yes. And so, <laughs> and so I started, um, just kind of being like, Oh, well, these aren't really songs. They're more poems. And from there, um, poetry has just always been a space for me to just kind of work on things that are within my own life. So it's ah, self-reflection is a thing that uh, is helpful to have and do. And I think poetry allows me, even though I'm in such a cognitive space all the time, it, it allows me to return and like intentionally sit with the yeah. heart of what I'm feeling. Um, so even sometimes right. when I write poetry, I'm not, it's like almost like there's like a completely different vibe happening. Like I'm like writing poetry and then I like, don't even read it for like a couple days. And then I return back to it and I'm like, cause I'm like, ah, oh, that's raw. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> and then I'll return back to it and be like, wow, that's what she was feeling. Um, and so it gives me a space to like, kind of go back and look at, to look at it with the sort of objective lens that I tend to occupy most of the time. So that I can really hear myself and really hear my own needs and hear like what's actually going on for myself. So I love poetry. Wow. It's it's a vibe. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That's that's such a cool like way to sound that. I think too. <laughs> I definitely um, have tried to freestyle rap in Union Square Park. <laughs> I remember that like a group of men and they're all oh, just like freestyle God. rapping. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And traumatizing. I traumatizing. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> you live to tell the story. So, I mean, I know. 
Everyone this was girl. like, oh. This girl from Orange County, California, <laughs> up in Union Square rapping. I was like, what is I totally, this? I ruined the vibe, but like, they made it so open and welcoming that I was just like, I can do this. Yeah, just caught the like, bug. Oh, no. How did it go? You're like, uh, it was about potatoes. Round, brown, brown coming they come in all sizes. When you cut them open, there are no surprises. <laughs> I love that. I know, oh, I, me too, man. but not everyone does. Anyway. <laughs> it was before its time, Lauren. <laughs> I, one day, um, if anyone out there listening is a manager and wants to oh. manage my, my freestyle rap room. Mixtape coming you soon. You can discover me. I'll let you, I'll let you be the first. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, kind of transitioning into uh, just like some practical, practical application. So we are this series for the fall that we're entering in for gather we've really been trying to figure out like okay what is gather's role in um in justice and in talking about these things and how do we you know take the organization that we've cultivated to to um to have these these conversations about things that that we don't normally talk about in the mainstream and how do we you know how do we create that space? We're not a advocacy organization or a legislative organization or a poly, but, but, you know, I think a lot of change in the world, and I think you probably agree with this starts personally starts in our mm-hmm. hearts and starts in the conversations that we're having in our communities and in our spaces. And then how we're then taking, you know, that out into the world. And so it's kind of what we're doing for this next series. And we really want to talk about and assess our own foundations and, our own biases and our own um, upbringings and just, and then talk about how we have these conversations in our, in our communities. I'm from a, I'm from where I grew up is very different than where I live in New York. And so the conversations I have with my friends back home are very different Mm -hmm. than the ones I have in New York and how, you know, why is it so important to take those, those conversations into those places? So just wondering if you have any kind of practical advice for our girls and our listeners, just, um, and kind of how to do the heart work and, and um, you know, sit, sit with like and understand kind of your own foundation and your own upbringing. And then if you have any advice for kind of taking that into community as well um, and kind of trying to, to change, change the narratives around you and help people understand and see, but then also assess where you might be personally. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the biggest advice that I would have is to start small um, and by that, I mean, yeah. what does it mean for you to live authentically? Um, Come on. What that has to do with assessing elements of who you are and your own identity and elements yeah. that you have not been allowed to be. Um, I yeah. think when it comes down to what does it mean to um, walk in justice, there has to be kind of a reflection of there are things or hopes that I've had and things that I've tried to gain that I was not able to fully step into that kind of allows you to um, reflect on that. Because that's oftentimes what also prevents, I think, from people from um, stepping into like a justice identity, if you will, or like stepping out anyway. Um, There's this like, okay, well, I mean, I see that and I kind of want to, I don't want to be shut down. Yeah. So where's that coming from? And where else in like your life right. have you experienced that? And what does it mean for you to live wow. authentically as who you are and who you want to be? Um, and asking yourself those questions is is vital. And then you go from there wow. to one trusted friend. I think there tends to be this, um, now I will like join the NAACP, like <laughs> slow down. Let's, what you should do then <laughs> 
is find one trusted friend who you can talk to and then you can begin to expand that network. So you start to have these genuine conversations. You can create... Okay, also, slight, I'm going to have a slight tangent right now because this is like really... Okay. Do as it. a single Go. woman who is chill in her singleness, I think that there yes. has been communication to women in a lot of ways about what it means to be vulnerable in general um, that is often interpreted through the male gaze. Meaning that what it means for a woman to be vulnerable and what it means for that to be accepted has often been so codified. Like you can be vulnerable yeah. like this, but don't cry though. Cause that's like too much. And I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, all you do is cry all the time. Like da, 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 da. You, figure out how you want to express yourself within yourself do that authentically live that authentically and you can do that before you get married and it's probably (laughs) beneficial yes and it's probably beneficial for you to do that before you get married there will not be a switch and magically you know how to be vulnerable because you got married like learn how to engage in community with your sisters because you will still need that if and when you get married Right. right and so right these are the sorts of um if it's if vulnerability in of itself stresses you out to engage with justice is a very vulnerable thing it was always a vulnerable thing it always has been and it always will be um and there has to be an acknowledgement that the communities who have been fighting for justice have been doing that for years you're not the first who came up with the idea wow this seems like something we should talk about we've been talking about it since the 1800s you feel me and we still talking about it so like Rather, because then that's that kind of, it misses the you want to you want to to engage, but you don't want to be vulnerable, really. And right. so you want to go in with like, a, I know how to do how I know what to do. And that also makes it seem so that you kind of come in superseding the voices of the community that you're with rather than walking alongside them when you're trying to keep this protective wow. shell. Come on. So I don't think people do it intentionally. I think they're they're really trying to protect themselves from from like that yeah. pushback from any kind of way um but there is a vulnerability to that work and justice work starts with because to be just is to walk in truth to walk in what is right to do right by others so begin by doing right by yourself and practicing doing right by yourself with people who can show you what it means for you to do right by yourself so an example of this is there are conversations that i've had with my community i have a couple of girls that I walk with who are like, they're the people that I call. So if I'm sitting around and I experience, um, you know what, I really feel like I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing a loss or I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of tough right now. I sit with myself, I think about it, what is that? And then I reach out to the one and I say, hey, I'm thinking I'm feeling this. Does that make sense? And then that's typically, for me, that's my best friend who will be like, oh yeah, girl, that made complete sense. I was waiting for you to say something because they've usually already noticed it. You know, they're like, you was being a little funny anyway. So that makes sense that that's probably what's going on. Then I go from the one to the, like the larger group that I have around me. Okay, this is a thing that I'm experiencing and it's showing up like this because I've had somebody who knows me closely say, I I was noticing this kind of pattern. So maybe that's what that is. Now from there, Mm -hmm. I have people who can say, not just like, oh my gosh, girl, how could you be feeling anything that you're feeling that's not positive and happy-go-lucky? But I have people who can say, um, we accept that you feel that way. 
and we will hold that feeling with you. This is what it means to bear one another's burdens. And that has to be practiced in a small group before you try to carry a world that is literally on fire, right? Um, so that's my thoughts there. Start small, work your way up and figuring out what it means to live authentically and to do right by yourself. Your wisdom is like that beautiful punch in the gut. It's like, yes, like yep. Just this knock is me out. truth. This is meaty. <laughs> this is raw. This is real. And this is something people so quickly jump the tracks on in the justice space. You yep. cannot be engaged in justice work if you can't practice vulnerability first. I um, love that. And I want that on a shirt. I want that on my forehead tattooed. I mean, like, and I think, you know, for me as a Christian, <laughs> I mean, but like as a Christian, as a black woman, as someone with a heart for justice, as someone in the humanities, in the social sciences, like I am forced into the space of vulnerability. I don't have like, and I don't want to say it some type of way, but it's like, I don't really have a choice. Like I have to do, to do the work that I want to do well and to do it authentically as we talk about and gather. And as you pointed out, Kamisha, you have to access and tap into that vulnerability. That is your greatest asset. And I mean, and that's just one tool in the tool belt of being a woman of action. And it looks differently for all of us. So kind of wrapping up, I guess, our, our dialogue today, Kamisha, and I hope we can have you back on the show in the near future, like next season, because my God, like the wisdom that was pouring out of you. <laughs> I would mm. love that. I would love that. Yes. Do we need a third co-host, Noelle? I, I think maybe. <laughs> I mean, yes, 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 please. <laughs> but being a woman of action that you are, and I just, I guess plainly, what is your secret? How do you how do you yeah. create those boundaries between your work, your beliefs, your personal, you know, construction, your under construction on the time? So how is that heart work you're doing and the work you're doing with others and then building community? Just how do you what is your secret to being a woman of action, being authentic and protecting each of those spaces in your life? How do you do it? Yeah, I um, uh, God, um, <laughs> by the grace of God. Um, hallelujah. no. Um, I, I think that for me, it's, it's important to have, um, you have to create space for yourself. Um, self-care is talked about a lot. A lot of people don't talk about how there's actually a, before you can even get to self-care, you need to figure out what even it is. What does care even mean for you? <laughs> because everybody don't like bubble baths, you know? Everybody don't like going on hikes. So you have to figure out, do you even like hikes? Like you can't, so I feel like sometimes people will say like, yeah, I'm practicing self-care today. I decided that I'm going to do P90X. I'm like, you don't even, you don't like P90X. Why are you doing that? That's not self-care. Maybe self-care for you is yoga. It's okay. You still working yeah. out if that's what it is. But if everybody yeah. don't like soul cycle, don't force yourself to do something that you don't like. That's not self-care. Are you kidding me? Um, and so sometimes I, I think I went on a, a journey with my peers, with people who know me well, um, with myself, with my therapist. I had a spiritual director for a period of time. Um, I have um, a church community. I have community in multiple various spaces that I have, which is interesting because I'm an introvert and a five at that. So I'm very particular about my energies. Um, <laughs> but it was important for me to find a space to figure out, okay, well, like what is care for me? And then to be very like the phrase that I always use is I am aggressive when it comes to penciling in time for myself I am not like mm, I'll get around to like 
you know, doing that thing that I really like sometime eventually one day. Like, it's like, because it's not going to happen. I just know that it's not. With all the different spaces and um, things that I'm walking in, it's just, it's not going to happen. So I have to say that um, today is like from this hour to this hour, I will rest and not do anything else. Like today, I am going to journal. Today, from this time to this time, I will listen to music that I want to listen to. Or today, I will read something that I want to read and not something that the Academy has told me to read. I will read what I want to read. Um, And so I think it starts by learning how to... And then I think there's also like spaces if if sitting with yourself is hard, because for some people, that's a very genuine struggle. Like it's really hard to just kind of sit with yourself. Then find ways, start small and then begin to like amp that up. You know, if you can spend like 30 minutes with yourself a week, the same way that people are like, you know, if you're going to exercise, start small. Like this is an element of heart exercise, you know, learn how to sit with yourself for 15 minutes, 30 minutes. And then maybe you can start to figure out, you know what? I sat with myself and I watched like, I watched a Netflix show intentionally, not just kind of like, I'm just going to like lead it on, like zone out, but like, I'm actually going to watch it and be like, oh, I'm going to like let myself laugh when I want to laugh. Like let myself like yell out loud about the characters. Like I'm actually going to like be me as I watch it and like practice be like being authentically yourself in those small moments. And then you can get to a space where like, for me, I don't do anything on Sundays at all. I do church. I talk with friends. I like cook because cooking wow. is um, something that makes me feel life-giving. That's a form of care for me. And then like that I can, like, you know, acts of service is my love language. So I'm like, how do I do acts of service for myself? I like, you know, having a nice warm meal. I'll make it for myself and then I'll yes. eat it later on. Like, you know, so on Monday I'm like, wow, thanks self, you know? Like, um, <laughs> yeah, so I feel like that'd be my, that'd be my advice in that regard. that. Uh, that's so good. That's so smart. Um, someone yesterday, what were we on? Someone the other day was calling me a, a cook, and I, I'm not. I would not. As her former no. roommate, I can attest. <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. But it's really funny. You pour a mean cereal, though, Lauren. That you do. <laughs> I know how to. Yeah. Um, but Noelle and I were both like on this call, like. Because this is really funny. Oh, I looked no. at her like, what did she just say about you? That is not true. Hey, it might have been so prophetic. Well. You're stepping into it. We're getting there. I'm getting so much better. Okay. Anyway. Um, my last question to you. Oh, my gosh. It's been so fun. Um, my last question to you. This has been so wonderful. Is so The theme of this series uh, that we're in right now on this podcast is called Women of Action. And you 100% are... Um, and I just want to know if you have any advice to our listeners on how to be a woman of action. And I know you shared a lot with us today, but if there's one particular piece of advice based on your experience, based on you know, your knowledge, um, yeah. how would you, yeah, how would you advise someone to be a woman of action? Yeah. Like Nike, just do it. Um, I feel, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot that can, I am someone who overthinks and so, just yeah. if you can like think of it as you're thinking as you go <laughs> as instead of like let me figure it all out before I take any step mm. you know like so just dip your toe in the water and be like now let me think about this before I put my whole foot <laughs> I'm just gonna put my toe and think about it 
and just think as you go <laughs> instead of right. thinking that you have to like think about it all right before. Wow. And I think that's that's, was, really that's been helpful for me. So wow. I'm like, okay, I'll think I'll think to this point, and then I'm like, once that happens, I'll think about it <laughs> some more. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. As an Instagram five, you would learn that. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, she's been doing her work. She's been. <laughs> I'm screaming. I love that. I love that so much. It's so good. Yeah, we want. To, we think we have to have it all figured out to take a step forward, but we're not called to figure it all out. We're called to just trust and to move forward in faith and obedience. And so mm-hmm. that's so good. Well Woo! said. Well said. Well, it's been an honor to have you on to speak with us and to share all of your wisdom. I'm going to go back and listen to this and take notes because same. I feel, I feel like I need to. <laughs> I feel like I just had a, a class. That was amazing. Um, we're so grateful that you took the time to speak with us in your crazy schedule. And we're just so excited for everything that is to come for you. So yeah. thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Happy to be here. Lovely to meet you guys. All the best to your listeners. <laughs>